We're going to look at this restore, and on this video, we see um, in Ezekiel chapter 37, how many of you have read the story and you studied this or, or just read it um, on Ezekiel uh, chapter 37 when it, deals with, um, when it deals with dry bones? How many of you have seen this before, read this before? No? Oh, good. Well, in this story, we're not going to get so much into it, but I'm, I'm going to mention it a little bit. And um, as we look at this story, and as you saw this graphic up here of these bones in a valley filled with bones, and then the bones came together, and you saw how the tendons started to come in, and the skin grew back, and then it became a human being. Breath came back, and what was dead, did you notice this? What was dead became what again? What was dead became alive again. Now that's awesome because we're talking about the book of Ezekiel, and that's the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament, and he dies for those that are dying so that he can make them alive again. And that's, that's the message of this book. It's that God wants to make that which is dead, what again? He wants to make it alive again. How many of you could say amen? And when we look at Ezekiel chapter 37, these dry bones that we just saw, and at the end of today's message, we're going to turn to Ezekiel 37. I'm going to give you a little bit of what you just saw up there. In the book of Ezekiel, in this chapter, it's Ezekiel's third vision in this book. It's his third vision that the Lord gives him. And he enters into this valley, and as he enters into this valley, it's filled with bones. Just imagine that scene, right? And as he's filled with bones there, it's, those bones represent something. And during Ezekiel's times, it shows us the state of Israel during Ezekiel's time. At that time, Israel was split, split into two kingdoms. You had Israel, and then you had the kingdom of Judah. Two different kings, and it, it was a nice big old mess because of a lot of rebellion and disobedience. It was split in half. But it showed the state of Israel and the state of Judah during this time. They were in bad shape. And, and they were not in good shape when it came to their politics. They were in bad shape when it came to their morality. And God was not pleased with the shape of his people. Um, morally, they were wrong. Politically, they were evil and wrong. And he was not pleased. So what does he do? He sends Ezekiel, a, young, a prophet at the time. And he sends him in a, in a vision through this valley of Bones, and they're dry bones. What does this mean, dry bones? That they've been there for a long time. Death has been represented in those valleys, for, in that valley for a very long time. And Ezekiel in this vision, it represents Israel. It represents Judah. And something amazing happens. God tells Ezekiel this. Hey, Zeke, um, can these bones live again? Come on, how would you answer that? How would you answer that? Don't ask me that. Like, think about going into a valley, and it's just massive valley, and it's dry bones that you could probably just shatter just by throwing a rock at them. They're just, and then God says, because he's funny like that, and God loves to, isn't it funny that in the Old Testament, God loved to ask questions, and in the New Testament, Jesus loves to ask questions to make a point? And he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And what does Ezekiel answer? The best answer any man could ever answer, any woman could ever answer. Does anyone remember what he answers? He, Ezekiel says this. He says, oh Lord, you know. What a perfect answer. Because I would not have answered that. He's like, oh Lord, you, you know. He, here are bones, bones that are symbolic for death. He's showing Israel is dying or pretty much dead. Forget dying, they're just dead. And as he's showing him this, he's asking him, can they live again? It's hard to say yes when that question is asked while you're seeing the vision that you're seeing. Can these bones live again? Or my dead body, these bones can live again. There's no way these bones can live again. It's hard to say yes when you see all these bones present. It's hard. You need a huge miracle for this one, God. That's what I would probably say. You need a huge miracle for this one. Because think about those bones that, Elijah, that Ezekiel saw. Those bones that Ezekiel saw were were empty of what? There was no organs in them. There was no tendons in them. There was nothing. There were bones, guys. And there was nothing in them that could make them live. So in order for this to live, you got to create upon those bones the bodies that they once possessed. The tissues they possessed or 
the veins and the blood flow and the heart and the brain and and then you got to give them breath to give them life because it's your breath that gives us life and so Lord you're asking me if these bones could live again and I love his answer oh Lord you know don't ask me because I definitely don't know my answer is I don't really think so um, highly probable that it's not going to happen. Nope. Um, I would I would have put all my money, if I had any money at that time, all on the, nah, they can't live again. They're dead. Oh, Lord, you know. I'm going to go back to that story, and we're going to turn to Ezekiel 37 at the end. Because I know there's people living in here, right? You're taking a deep breath. Take a deep breath with me. Go. Isn't it, isn't it cold in here today? No one's fanning themselves today. Come on, give God some praise. You've helped us make this place get cooler. Thank you. Thank you for helping us make this place cooler. But we have breath. We have blood right now, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully you have breath and blood rushing through you right now. And we're alive. But I know that spiritually, there might be some that are in here that represent these dry bones. You, You guys know what I'm talking about, like... We don't have to try to like act like it's not happening amongst us, but it is. We know that there's some of us in here that, that come on, have not picked up their word in who knows how long. And, and, and there's no way that you're living without reading. Like it's impossible. There's no way that you're living without application. It's, it's just impossible. You're just dying. For sure, we know that there's people in here that, man, goodness, you don't know when was that time that you had just a time of just prayer and seeking God on your own not corporately like we did right now but on your own just that date night with God and you and and you're just dying and you there's some of you that you could relate to this maybe because I've been here where I'm in the presence of God but yet I feel like I'm dry while I'm in the presence of God I feel like there's no life in me even though I am living I wonder if anyone here has ever felt like that right and God's like, Regal, you're going to preach this message on Sunday. Can these bones live again? I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, Lord, only you know. You know, oh, God. Because, you know, I'm going to be very honest. And, 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 and today I feel that, that. I don't know if you feel it. I feel that presence like that. But sometimes as pastors, what do you think we want to do? Just like parents, right? What do you think we want to do? Michael, I love Michael Pupo. We, no, we used him last week as an example. Daddy, come on. I haven't used you in a while. And... Um, yeah, sometimes we want to do this as pastors, and you've probably been to a church like this, right? No, and they shake you, and they rattle you, you got to get it. And then all they do is, because they're so frustrated that they do what? They preach condemnation over your life for about five years, you know? You're going to go to hell, burn, you know? Thank you, Adi. I wasn't going to shake you. You're, you're a gentle lady. And sometimes, deep in our core, we want to do that. We want to preach the gospel in a manner that is like this. Jesus, you know, but then we know that sometimes that's not the healthiest thing for some people need it, but it's not the healthiest thing for some people. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, my God, I'm dead. I'm not going to shake you like this. I'm I'm just going to read scripture and I I hope that the spirit of God, you know what? Don't forget this feeling. Don't forget this. I'm doing this for a reason because Ezekiel 37 says that eventually you're going to, I'm going to get there. Did you see the video? It says that the bones became, they started to come together. And guess what there was amongst the bones? There was a rattling amongst the bones. And that rattling began to bring back their tendons and their organs and their skin and began to bring life back to them. But God had to bring a rattling into those dry bones. And those dry bones began to live again. And sometimes in our spirit, come on, can we be honest? How many of us sometimes need a nice shaking from God's word? A shaking from God's presence. Like, come on, restore yourself already. There's someone greater in you. Man, if you only knew how I want to use you. Come on, anyone in here can say that's me. I know I've been there. I know I've been there, and I know, pff, who knows, maybe in a week I'll be there. They're like, oh, man, I just preached this crap. And God's like, yeah, because I'm dealing with you. But, but I'm sure you've been there, and you've felt that, and, and, and here it is. Ready? Oh, church, can these bones live again? What's our answer? What's our answer? Oh, God, you what? Come on. Oh, God, you what? Yeah, oh, God, you know. Oh, God, you I want to take you to a passage in the book of Romans chapter 7. And Paul speaking here in Romans 7, 13, I think we're going to relate a lot to it. And I'm going to spend some time on this passage. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's Romans chapter 7, verses 13, all the way to verse 25. 
Romans 7, 13 to 25. Hey, guys, um, really, today's Interactive Church Day. Watch this. Did you guys know that? It's National Interaction Church Day. All right, good. Uh, you guys didn't know that. So watch this. Give me some, give me some things about Paul. Um, what are some stuff that we know about Paul, the Apostle Paul, not Pablo that lives next to you in the middle of East Hialeah. Paul, all right, tell me something about Paul. He persecuted Christians. Always the negative stuff first, man. Man, he sucked, man. He killed people, okay? He persecuted Christians. Yeah, he killed them, man. He died for Christ. He did die for Christ later on. We saw that, that he dies in Rome for Jesus, so he gets saved and he dies for the name of Jesus, for the work of Christ. He Did he say that? He says that the secret of life is being content. Good. He was shipwrecked. He was on a boat that was shipwrecked. Yes. He was on a shipwreck. Anything else about Paul? He did. He was in prison multiple times. He went to jail. He was a felon, my goodness, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. Okay, the other sir. His name was changed. Um, Saul was his original name, and from now on, you're Paul kind of thing. And, and yeah, there's a whole study on that, but yeah, we know him as Saul and as Paul. Yes, sir. He did. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament, and he wrote them to who? To the churches that were around in all these regions that he was planting, that he was visiting. Because Paul was also a what? I said it already. He was an apostle. He pastored pastors. He pastored churches, but his main role was to pastor pastors. And as he was in one region, he would write a letter to another region. And, and what an amazing, amazing... Hey, if you know anything about my preaching, you know that I love Jesus, but I can't wait after spending about a few thousand years with Jesus. I'm going to kick it with Paul for a little while in eternity. I'm going to ask him some questions, and my buddy, and you've heard me say this on a Sunday, and forgive me for repeating myself, but my buddy asked, calls me one day, it was a weird conversation, I'm on the way home, it's late at night, my phone rings, like, what's up buddy, and he's like, hey, I need to ask you one question, we started talking about this today in a little Bible study, and you know, I thought about you, if you could relate yourself to one um, um, person in the Bible, who would it be, like, who's your favorite, who do you think, I was like, Paul, I love Paul, man. He said, like, you know how to say Jesus. You know, you can't say Jesus is your favorite. Who's your next favorite? I was like, Paul, I love Paul. I love his writings. I love who he is. And I love this passage because, yes, our brother in the back mentioned something negative about Paul. And it was like that. He was in sin. God saved him. And then he began to do great things for God. He began to plant churches. He began to preach to thousands. He began to do some amazing stuff for Jesus, right? Paul was an apostle. Paul was respected. Paul was known. You've heard me say in weeks past that there was demons upon these individuals. And as the, these other false disciples came up to the demons, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The demons that were in those people. Guys, you know you're something big. When the demons said, hey, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who the heck are you? And the demons came out of those people, jumped on top of the other people that were praying for them. They began to take off their clothes and they began to run around the city butt naked, filled with shame. Hey, notice what the disciples said. Um, notice what the demon said. We know Jesus. We know Paul. But who do you think you are? You have no authority. Paul walked with authority, lived with authority. Man, there was a power and there was an anointing upon Paul, just like there is in Jesus. Those two guys we know, but who are you to pray demons out, to pray us out of these bodies? And they jumped into those guys, and those guys ran out demon possessed. I'm not making these stories up. This is real Bible stuff. You're seeing movies out of these things. But watch this. Paul was serious. Those demons, those demons in, from hell knew Paul's name. Wouldn't you say that Paul was serious? Now, knowing that part of Paul, I want you to know this part of Paul that we're about to read. I want you to know this part of Paul. Let's read. Paul says this. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. So my problem is, is not with God's, let's say, God's word, because I know it's spiritual, and I know this is good, Paul says. Let's learn together for a moment. But look what he says next. Paul, guys. The trouble is with what? <laughs> the trouble is not God's word. God's word's good. God's word's spiritual. The trouble and the problem here, church, is me, Paul says. Paul says, I'm the one that's in trouble here. Look what he says next. For I am all too human. I am a slave to sin, he says. I'm a slave to sin. Verse 15 says this. 
I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Come on, can I get an amen? How many of you want to do what's right, but you find yourself not doing what's right? Paul's like, me. I want to do what's right, but I don't find myself doing it. Instead, look what he says, I do what I hate. Paul, you're an apostle, man. He's like, I know. And in the process of me being an apostle, I continue to do the things that I hate. I don't want to do those things, but I continue to do them. Look at verse 16. But I know. You know what he's saying here, right? But I know. Come on. You know he's gotten confronted a couple of times. Paul, that's not good. Paul, that's not good. And he's like, right, he's like, I know. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm not, I'm not trying to justify. I, I know this. He says, but I know that what I'm doing is wrong. <laughs> You don't have to shake me. God's already shaking me. I know that what I'm doing is wrong. And this shows, because I know that it's wrong, watch what he says next. This shows that I agree with his law, that the law is good. Did you, did you guys understand that? Watch this, watch this. If we get in the car together and we go down the Palmetto and I start hitting 85 miles per hour. Somebody like, 85, come on, you can go 90. All right, but if I start hitting 85 miles per hour, you're going to look at me and say, Rigo, yo, slow down, buddy, man. Slow down. What made you say slow down? What made you say slow down? There's nothing wrong with this. But it's because you know what? It's because you know the law. So you tell me slow down because you know the law. So here's Paul, and Paul says, I know what I'm doing is wrong. And because I know this, look what he says this. Because I know what I'm doing is wrong, it shows that I agree that the law is good. What do I mean? That Watch this. That as I'm going past the speed limit, and I know I shouldn't, it's because I know that there is a knowledge and an understanding that there is a law that tells me otherwise, but yet I still choose to do opposite of what that law tells me to do. And yet I know that that law has the best for me. Because at 55, I'm least likely to get in a car accident than I am at 95. So what the law has done has helped me to prevent me from doing something drastically that will destroy my life. So what the law does is it brings me back to normalcy to say, respect this and obey this, and at least you'll be somewhat safe. But if you go outside these guidelines, you're out for yourself to fend. Be careful. Danger lurks. Is everyone with me? So watch this. Because you admit that and you understand that, then you recognize that there is a law and that the law is good, that the law is spiritual, that the law, the word of God is for you. Come here. You've ever sinned? <laughs> that was a dumb question in church. <laughs> then you have that little voice inside of you that says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't do it. You do it. You did it. You did it. The voice changes, right? From don't do it to you did it. You did it. What do you think that is? Knowledge of the law, which is good. Watch. Because if you did not know that law, why would the law say don't do it? Do it. It's good. But because you know that the law is good, it reminds you and it tells you don't do what's bad. Don't do what's evil. Is everyone with me? Good. So Paul says, because I know what's good, the, you know what the scary person is when they have no conviction. The person that is without any kind of, who gives a bleep about what that word says? Oh man, that's a dangerous place to be at. Because they don't know what's good. They don't know what's right. They've completely disobeyed it and rebelled against it. That's a dangerous place to be. I hope no one here is at that place. Uh, who cares about that? 55, 95, same difference. Who cares? It's a very dangerous place to be at. But because I know. Because I know this. I know it's good. And he says in verse 17, so I'm not the one doing wrong, but watch what Paul says next. It is the sin living in what? That what? That does it. Sin living in me that does it. Guys, remember Paul, this great Paul. Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. Who are you? Paul wrote church to the churches. Paul was amazing. But what does Paul write next? My goodness. It's hard. It's a struggle. It's not really me doing it. Watch this. It's not really me. I've, you know how many meetings, you know how many times I've said this? Pastor, you don't understand. It's not me. It's like something inside of me that continues to crave for the sin. Guess what? Paul's saying the same thing. 
It's not me that's doing it. It's the sin that is living in me. Guys, can you see the word addicted there? Controlled by, can you see that there? Ruled over, can you see it there? It's something that's ruling over me. It's something that is overpowering me. It's something that, is addicted, that I'm addicted to. And I could relate to this. I could relate to Paul's letter here because watch church, listen. The trouble is me. Just like I hope that you could say what? The trouble is what? It's not God's word. It's not God's presence. It's not the, the trouble is us. It's you. It's me. It's our sinful nature. It's what we struggle with each day. It's being slaved and continue to go back to that slavery mentality. And I can relate to this. And here is Paul. And Paul is admitting this, that this trouble is that he is a slave to this sin. And saying this, admitting this, like we heard last week, confessing this, confessing this truth. He's confessing that the sin now has become like a master over his life. He has no control over it. And I don't want to do it. But the sin living in me does it. That's a big statement. Everyone say big statement. Yeah. Big statement for Paul to make. Because that's not something that um, so-called apostles are saying today. Nowadays, you go and you wait in line to get prayed over for an apostle. And you go and they anoint you with certain things. And you drink a certain remedy. And they do all these things. They put themselves on the pedestal. And, and here is this apostle who is probably greater than any known apostle that they call themselves apostle today. And he is admitting something massive. And what he is admitting is this. I am trouble because of the sin that lives in me. I wonder how many of you could say, man, I could relate to Paul so much right now. Guess what? Your pastor can. I could, bro, as your brother, as your friend, as the person that preaches every Sunday, I could relate to Paul in this statement. Because the statement is basically this. It's a big statement because what he's saying is this. We are slaves. We are slaves. We are slaves to the things that master us. Watch this. If Jesus Christ masters you, you're a slave to Jesus. But if sin masters you, you are a slave to sin. Come on. Money masters you, slave to money. Your relationship, your husband, your wife masters you. You're a slave to that. Your career, slave to it. Big statement there. And I love what Paul says next. I know what I'm doing is wrong. And that shows that I agree that the law is good. So, so if God's word is convicting us, we're admitting that God's word is truth. If we hear that voice and we feel that presence, we're experiencing the truth of God. And then he says... I'm not the one that's doing wrong. It's the sin that's living in me that does it. He's recognizing this, guys. There is a strong power that is causing me, that is leading me to live the way that I am living. And he calls that power sin. It's the sin that's in me. And that's what sin, and that's what addiction to sin does. It lives in us, and it does the wrong that we wish not to do, but yet we continue to find ourselves doing it. Does anyone relate to Regal and to Paul? This is a good Bible study today. Because there's sin living in me, and it's what makes me do what I don't want to do. Let's keep reading, because if not, I'll stay here forever. Verse 18 and 19 says this. I know that nothing, you're Paul, you're not supposed to say that. And I know that nothing good lives in me, and that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I what? Jeez, Paul, but I do it anyway. Ever felt like this? Let me, let me repeat this. Ever felt like this? Uh, uh, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. <laughs> ever, ever been there? Ever experienced that? I'm not going to preach on that again. Let's keep going. Verse 20 says this, but if I do what I don't want to do, my God, Paul, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me. He admits it again. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle in life. This is the part where y'all are like, hmm, what are you going to teach us, Paul? What are you going to say, Paul? He says, here it is. That when I want to do what is right, I never inevitably, wow. Inevitably. I know how to say it. Don't mess with me. I on purposely do. Now I do what is wrong. Look at verse 22. I love God's law with all my heart. This is crazy. I'm a sinner. I keep doing what I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. I hate that. But I do what I hate. And then he comes over here and he says, but I love God's word. And everyone's like, 
I do all these things, but the next part of the verse is, I love God's law, but watch how he loves it. I love it with all of my... Right, me tell Nancy, me tell Nancy this. <laughs> you know what? And I just go off on a page about her, or my actions show totally off about her. And she's like, he's not showing he loves me. But then I come home after I just displayed to all of her, and say, I love you with all of my heart. You want to know what that's going to do to me? It's going to give me a slap right in the face. No, she'll never do that. But she'll get real close to maybe wanting to do that. And, 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 and you can imagine what God is feeling in his presence. And look what, God, look what Paul is admitting. Let's keep going. Verse 23 says this. But there is another. I love God's law with all of my heart. I love God's word with all of my heart. But there is another power that is within me. Look what he says next. I love this choosing of words. It is at war. War. Everyone say war. Yeah, it's at warfare. It's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. My goodness gracious. You know what Paul is saying? My mind has problems. Thank you, Paul, for being so honest because now I know I'm not the only crazy one. Thank you, Paul. I wonder what Paul would say today with the face of religion, right? <laughs> putting up a front, wearing a mask, putting up on a pedestal. People calling themselves healers. People call, <laughs> I, I'm going to let God's wrath in a second. I'm going to go back into the word, amen? But here's Paul, one of the greatest men that ever lived. And what does he admit? There's a power in me that makes me a slave to the sin that's still in me. I want this out of me. How do I take it out? Feel like that? I'm addicted and I can't get free. I'm an addict and I can't get out of this. I'm a sinner and I can't get healed from this. And Paul recognizes his sin and he is not scared to confess that it's a stronghold over his life. There is an addict in Paul and he wants to be healed from it. He wants to be freed from this struggle to do what's right, but yet he can't do it. I need help. Paul is crying for help in the book of Romans. Do you see this, church? And he tells us, I love God's word with all of my heart. Come on, the church people, the religious people would say what? Then do it, stupid. But Paul's like, I'm trying, but I'm struggling. I know without a shadow of my doubt that there's a bunch of Pauls in this place today. You're trying, but you're struggling. There's no fronting. There's no hiding. You can leave this church right now. But I'm telling you right now, God is going to ring you. You can't hide from the truth that you're struggling while knowing God's truth over your life. You're being shaken by God. You can't run from it. Come on. I wonder how many of you are, are hooked right now. Like, you got me. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. And that's what Paul is saying here. There's another power within me that's at war with my mind, my mind. Thank you, Paul. There's a struggle in his mind. And then he says this, this power makes me a slave to sin. Guys, this is not a joke. Paul is talking about a power over his life that's making him a slave to sin. While he's writing a book that we preach on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays. Struggling, and we're preaching in the midst of his struggle based off his words in his struggle. Come on, man. Because sometimes what you don't understand is that at your weakest moments and at your darkest place is where you see the greatest blessing for God to glorify himself in your life. And here is Paul at that state, at that moment. And God is saying, come on, baby. It's just the beginning of what I want to do with you. I know you're struggling. I know you're going through this. And Paul is, guys, Paul is writing this. And we are reading this today. And we're preaching this today. And he's admitting this on his day. Like, does that make sense? 
It's just the way God does things. It's just the way that God relates to stuff. It's, it's just the way that God allows that this book right here not be this over-religious writing. It's, it becomes intimate now. It becomes personal now. It becomes something that shakes my core now. It's, it's not a little thing now that I sprinkle in the air and say, here's the reading of God's word today. It's, it's something that, oh my goodness, it's living, it's powerful, it's active, and it still relates to me today on 2015. And we're reading a man, a point where he confesses that there's a power over my life and I can't get out of this. Guys, I hear his passage. And I hear this cry, and I feel like this cry is not just of pause, but that this is the cry of so many people that come to church. And what I hear is this, I really love the Lord, I really love His Word, but there is a power in me that I struggle with to overcome. I long to be restored. Man. Restore means to bring back to a former, original, or even normal condition. Kind of like a building or a statue when they restore it. To bring back to a state, I like this one, state of health. A soundness of vigor. Look what Paul says next in verse 24. Oh, come here. This is good. Because now he gets like even more personal. Oh, what a miserable person I am. God, Paul. You're actually pretty awesome, man. No, I'm miserable. You know what another translation says? What a wretched man I am. Wretched. Wretched's more powerful than miserable. I'm wretched. Like, he's not even saying, I'm having a bad day. He's not even writing, today kind of sucks for me. He's not even saying that. He's like, I'm wretched. Whoa, Paul. Settle down, buddy. No, I'm wretched. I want everyone here to know I'm miserable. You want to know why he's miserable? You want to know why you'll always be miserable? Because there's no way that you knowing God's truth could continue to live in God's, in, against God's truth and live in false. As long as you live in false while recognizing truth, you'll always be re- you will always be miserable in the midst of false. You're going to have to come back to truth because God's truth is the only place where your soundness, where your vigor, where your joy is found. And as long as you continue to drift away from it, you're going to continue to be miserable, church. Wretched, church. I could relate on a daily basis, man. I could relate. He's basically saying, who will free me? Have you said this before? Maybe you know someone that has. Maybe you're like, man, thank God this message is not for me. <laughs> okay. I believe you. Sure. But maybe you're like, I know someone though. Who can help me? How can I change? Who will restore me? I know that I'm living, but I feel like I'm dying. Ever felt that? I know that I'm living, but I feel like dying, like I'm dying. If you look closely, if you hear carefully, that's what many are saying around us each day. Come here. That's what many are saying around us each day. I'm living, but in reality, I feel like I'm dying. So what am I going to do? I'm going to drown myself with alcohol. I'm going to fill my body with drugs. I'm going to fill my lack of love with sex. I'm going to do whatever it takes to fill this void because I'm living, but inside I feel like I'm dying. This is a good message today, isn't it? I feel like I'm dying. You know, Paul's good, though, because Paul's not going to leave on a sour note. He's not going to leave you just hanging, right? Hey, Paul, take the hook out my mouth, bro. Nah, just chew in the water with the hook in your mouth. He, he's not into that business, you know what I'm saying? He's like, all right, well, I'll take the hook out your mouth. But watch what Paul says next in verse 25. I think you're going to be blessed by this. I really do. You know, I had to do this, guys. I'm a preacher. Build, 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 build. Boom. Here it is. Here it is. Ready? Build, 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 build. Make you feel like, I can't breathe. Give me hope. Here it is. Verse 25. Here's your hope. Here's the outpour. Here's heaven's opening up to you. Ready? Here's your breath. Here's salvation. Here's joy. Here's prosperity. Watch this. Verse 25. 
Thank God. There were, guys, in the midst of his darkest moments, there's a what in him? Thankfulness. Thank God. Watch what he says next. The answer is it Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on. There should be amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Preach that. Come on. There should, that should be being said right now. I don't know what's wrong with this church today. I'll start again. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. Oh yeah, Paul, I see it. Paul just like rolled to like, God, Paul, if you can't do it, surely I can. Deflate gay, like I'm just deflated here. And then Paul says this. Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ alone. So already they're deflated, and they're like, thank God. And they're like, what the heck is happening to Paul now? Now he's, he's saying that there's hope. They're saying, he's saying, and, 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 and life comes back to them again. And, and the life, look what he says here. He's like, it's Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see how it is? Like, do you see how it is? I feel dead over here. You've killed me for about a half an hour. And now you're telling me that there's an answer, and his name is Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see how it is? No, I don't, Paul. Thank you for tormenting my life for a little while. Yeah, you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. You see how it is? But there's an answer though. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a solution. There is an answer to it. His name is Jesus. You struggle in your mind. You find yourself addicted. You're in sin. You want to be restored. You see how it is? There's an answer. His name is Jesus. Jesus, it's not start going to those meetings and start dating her and start drinking this and start hitting that. None of that will fill your void. You'll see how it is. His name is Jesus. It's not him, her, them, or it, or that. Because you've gone out to party, you've gotten home at four in the morning, and you're still in a sucky state. But Jesus Christ will make all things new, and he makes all things good. Come on. The answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always been. It always will be. It's Jesus. You know how it is. Yeah, I guess I do. His name is Jesus. Thank God that there's a Jesus. Amen. I struggle mentally. I'm going to tell you something. I struggle mentally. Because I really want to obey God. But instead I obey the sin that I'm a slave to. I struggle. I don't care. I struggle. But thank God there's an answer. And his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man. Someone becomes addicted. When someone becomes so lost in their sin, deep in their sin, they lose the ability to control their choices. And eventually even their lives. An addict will turn to that addiction always. Whether it's a person, whether it's a practice, whether it's a thing, whatever it is, even if they know, just like Paul, it's against my will, it's against what I want to do, they continue to go to it. An addict, a sinner, will know the repercussions, they will know the consequences, but in their actions they will still do it. Ever see yourself do that? Paul says, when I want to do what is right, I do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power with me in me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Do you see that? I continue to turn to something knowing that I don't want to turn to it, that I shouldn't turn to it. You see here, it's, there's an important thing to know here. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's to remind yourself and to tell others that the answer is Jesus. You know how it is. The answer is Jesus. I love what Psalm 34 verse 8 says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. 
Like, come here, I'm going to be very honest right now because I love you guys and I love your soul too much. Watch this. Don't just come to church to see. You better get over here and you better start tasting what you're looking at. Because seeing is no good, but it's when you taste what you see. See, I don't want to go to your house, you invite me to dinner, say, man, that churak, that meat, man, that food looks so good. You should just see how good my food, I'm going to invite you to dinner so you could come and see how good my food, I don't want to go see how good your food looks, I want to go see and taste how good your food, I don't want to invite people to church and invite people to a relationship with Jesus so they can see how good God is, I want them to come see and taste how good our God is. You know why? Because when you introduce your taste buds to that taste, there's going to be a moment where you're going to crave for more of that taste. And if you just let people crave some Jesus, oh, man, they won't still stop just seeing and they'll start tasting. I promise you that. Taste and see that God, who God really is and how good God really is and that he becomes a substance that you cannot cope without. Yes, I love her and yes, I love him and yes, I am addicted and yes, I can't stop drinking and yes, 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 yes. But watch this. When you taste and see that God is good, he becomes the substance, not those things that you can't cope without. Come on, church, come on. Taste and see that God is good good. How many of you can say amen? All right, so my, I'm not going to end yet, but my ending part is this right here. There's a woman at the well in John chapter 4. I'm not even going to ask you to turn to it to prove to you that I'm ending in about a couple minutes. So there's a woman, right, in John 4. You might have heard this story. She's a Samaritan woman. She's going to drink, um, draw out some water. And in John 4, Jesus is there. Don't miss what I'm about to share with you, and I'm going to wrap all these things together. And as Jesus is there at the well, he, he's been journeying all day. It's the heat of the day. It's the middle of the day. It's when the sun is the hottest. We could relate to that here in Miami this year, huh? And um, Jesus tells this woman something as they are discussing and having, in the, they're just um, in conversation. Jesus, in the midst of conversation, guys, listen, listen. Jesus tells her this. He says, hey, go and get your husband. They're in conversation. She's by herself. She's getting water to take back to her house. Jesus is there. Can I have some water? And in the midst of their conversation, which we'll kind of dissect in a second, Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. Look at verse 17. Well, don't look at it. Just listen to me. It's, it's up there. It's up there. If you're writing notes, write notes. But in verse 17, something amazing happens. The woman tells Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 17, he says, I don't have a husband. You would think Jesus would know that, right? He's Jesus, for goodness sakes. Go get your husband. I don't have one. Oh, man, I messed up on that one. I don't think that's what it was. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And what does Jesus say? You're right. Now you can see the grin, right? You can see the pierce in his eye, the fire, as he's just piercing her soul. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband, verse 18. But you have had five husbands. You sure have had a good time. You've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the one you're living with right now. Now this woman's like, who are you? Who do you work for? What do you want? Yeah, you're not, you've had five husbands and you're what? You're, on your, you're working on your six and you're living with him and he's not even your husband right now. I want to talk a little bit about this woman because I truly believe this, that her compulsive behavior mastered her. I, I believe that without a doubt. Listen, she's had five, now six serious relationships with men. Catch this. Six, I love... Guys, if I forget to mention six in the middle of my message, like in 10 minutes, just scream out, six! I'm going to make a point on six. For, just give me a second. She has six serious relationships with men. She seems like, it seems like when you listen to this lady that she's had a deep longing for intimacy, right? And in this longing for deep intimacy, she's found it with men. But the first one is like, ah, I worked for like a month. So she got with the second one. It worked for like about three years. And the third one, uh, five months. And the fourth one, ah, three years. And it's like, my God, settle down. And he's like, I've had five husbands. I can't find the right one. Listen to me. If you've had five husbands and you can't find the right one, the problem is probably not the husband. <laughs> so Jesus is like, you've had six serious relationships. It seems like you're longing for intimacy with men. She never seemed to be what? Fulfilled. Have you, did you catch that? And this pattern of behavior has forced her to recognize that her entire life now is, 
is to control feeding her addiction. I need another one, I need another one. Now I'm living with another one. Especially when it's socially unacceptable. I, I know that it was socially unacceptable. You want to know why I know that? Because verse 6 tells us that it was noontime and it was the heat of noontime when she went to draw out water. It was the time where the sun was the strongest that she would go and collect water. And that's not a time that any of us would go and collect water at the well. Because, and you might say, well, why? Why would she go at noontime? Why would she go at this time? Well, a great and probable reason could be because she was ashamed to go out during the cool of the day when the other village women went. Because watch this. The other women from the same village knew exactly who she was, and she was socially unacceptable to them because of her serious addiction to men. And she was known as the neighborhood, well, I'm not going to say the word. Come on. You women already know what I'm talking about. You see her coming? <laughs> She's probably after my man. And that's what she was known as. I can't get around with the women from my village because they all think that I'm after them. And you kind of are. So she has to go during the heat of the day where none of the women go to get water. When all the women go in the coolness of the day. Come on. It's easy to say that her entire life was wrapped around her addiction, that the object of her, the desires of her heart, the thing that she thirsts after, watch this, has become her master and she can't control it. She no longer can control her life. She's led by this deep addiction. It reminds me of what Paul says, what we just read. It is sin living in me. There is another power within me and this power makes me a slave to this sin, right? Guy, rabbi guy at the, at the well, I don't know what it is. This is my sixth guy. I don't know what it is. I can't find the right man. She's like, it's not the man. You lack something. So in the midst of her addiction, in the midst where she's lost total control, like I said, when an addict gets to a point where they become an addict, they lose sense of control over their lives. They lose even their own lives. And here she is, and one day when she least expects it, she meets this Jewish man, thirsty, asking her for water. But little did she know that her drawing water to give him would be the day that she is freed from addictions because of the water that he's about to offer her. And in verse 14, he tells her something. Come on, listen to this because I'm about to end. He says, those who drink the water that I give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And what is Jesus doing here? He's giving her a solution to the real problem here. And I don't want anyone here to miss this. There is a woman that during the hottest hours of the day goes to draw water out of the well. And it's a struggle for her, a struggle for her to do this. But nonetheless, she has no choice because, listen, it is a consequence. It is a repercussion of the sinful patterns of her life. Don't complain, woman. Go get your water during the heat of the day because none of the other women want to see you when it's 6 p.m. Go get your water at 1 p.m. Get out of my face. Well, that's not fair. Don't tell me what's not fair. That's consequences and repercussions of your sin. That's what she was dealing with here. That's what she was dealing with here her whole life. But then, think, you know how it is. Right? You know how it is, right? No, no one knows how it is? Thank God! The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Because out of nowhere, Jesus steps into the scene in the middle of this lady's day, in the middle of her life. Come here. In, her, in the middle of her sixth relationship with a man. Sixth relationship with a man. Sixth. She's about to meet. Number one didn't work. Number two didn't work. Number three didn't work. Number four didn't work. Number five didn't work. And number six who's home waiting for the water, he's not working either. But there is a seventh man. That number seven means the completion. And he's standing at the well. And he's not drawing water from the well, but he's drawing water from his well to give to her. And little did this woman know that it wasn't in number one, two, three, four, five, and six, but it's the man number seven that met her at the well that would quench her thirst forever, that she would never have to go to another man again to fill her intimacy because she met him one day at the well. And you know how it is. Thank God for Jesus Christ our Lord, her number seven man that changed her life around. There's power in the seventh. And Jesus showed up as a seventh man that day and says, how did one do? How did do two, two, do two, do two, do, and three do, and four do, and five do, and six do? And she's like, they're miserable, they're horrible. One's a cheater, the other one's a liar, the other one stole from me, the other one cheated. The fifth one, huh, 
you'll never guess what he did to me. The sixth one, the one that I'm with right now, he abuses me. And Jesus says, but I'm the seventh one, the one that you will never run back to another man. I will restore your life. When you drink from my waters, you're never going to come back to these waters of addictions to drink again from another man. You will drink from my fountain and in you, bubbling springs of water will leap out of you. Oh man, there is power in this man. There's power in the seventh day. There is power in the seventh day, which is rest. There is power on that seventh man, which is rest. And for the moment, she no longer needs to go to her X, 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 X. She could go now to the seventh one, her rest. It says, I found the man that I'm looking for, man. I know that happened because the Bible says she goes back to her city and tells everyone about this man called Jesus. Do you know who she goes back to when she goes back to her city? She doesn't go to the wives. The Bible says when she goes back to the city of Samaria, she begins the men of Samaria about Jesus who knew everything about her. You know who she went to? She went to her addiction and told her addiction who she now is a slave to. He now restored my soul. Men of Samaria, come, I got an announcement to make. I don't want you, 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 none of you are going home tonight. Because I met Jesus. You know how it is. You know how it is. My Lord. My God. Hottest hour of the day goes to draw water. And in verse 15, the woman looks at Jesus and says, Sir, give me this water that I would never thirst. Watch me, she says, and that I would never come here again. <laughs> Can I share a point today that I want to make? Here it is. Jesus doesn't necessarily meet people in the Gospels. Jesus doesn't meet people when they're well. Have you noticed that? Almost every encounter that Jesus has it's not when people that are well. Instead, it's when they're sick, when they're in sin, when they're dying, when they're dead bones, dry bones in a battle, when they need to be restored. Jesus shows up and he's like, you know how it is. I love that. Because you thought that you need to be well for Jesus to meet you. And in the scripture, teaches us that the last thing that you need for me to meet you is to be well. I want to meet you actually at your darkest hour, at your most sinful state, at your most polluted waters. There is where I want to meet you, not when you're well. That is powerful because so many people have tried to make their life right to meet God, but the answer is meet God to then make your life right. John 3, 17, Jesus' own words after the most powerful and the most known scripture in John 3, 16. You know what he says next? Everyone forgets to preach this one. Everyone's like, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Everyone says that. But the next verse says, for God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. I came to meet you at the point of your salvation, not to condemn you. So I'm telling everyone here you're at a good place if you need to be restored because the answer is Jesus. And if you know someone, they're at a good place today. If they're a mess, listen to me, they're at a good place because the answer is Jesus in the middle of their mess. So as Jesus meets this woman in her addiction, in her sin, in her, listen, listen, in her external problem, he reveals that what she needs is deeper than the physical components and struggles that surround her. The things that have her addicted, it's deeper than that. And he shows her 
It's spiritual and it's internal and it's the emptiness that needs to be filled and only He can do that. So right before all this is being done and said, you know what He says in verse 13? Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Do you get that? He's basically telling the addict, he's basically telling the sinner, if you continue to go to those waters of sin and addiction and whatever it is, guess what? It's not going to fill you. You're just going to be thirsty for more and you're going to go back to that sin and you're going to go back to that addiction. So as long as you come to these waters, you're going to be thirsty again. The next one is, but if you drink from my waters, well, you know how it is. You'll never thirst again. But if you let me give you the water... You will never thirst the water, verse 14, that I shall give you will become to you a fountain of water. It springs up to eternal life. What is he saying here? I satisfy you and I fill you where no one or nothing else can. Come on, that's good, man. Drink my water of restoration over your life. So I'm studying this water stuff. And I remembered Isaiah's words. And Isaiah's prophesying of Jesus. And Isaiah 58, verse 11, guess what Isaiah says? Hundreds of years before Jesus ever steps into the scene in the flesh. Catch this, church. You call it a coincidence. I call it God's perfection. Isaiah says, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. Did everyone catch that word? He'll give you water when you're dry, and he will restore your strength And you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Just come and get restored. How many of you could say amen? So here it is, Ezekiel 37. I told you I was going to end soon. Ezekiel 37, you could turn there and put your eyes for a moment on verse 12. Because I want to share something with you today. Sometimes when you preach on addictions, you have to be very careful. Um, I was going to show the clip, and I was debating, but I I chose not to. But it's actually a clip from uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, a serial killer who... uh, killed women and did very gruesome stuff with their bodies and took their heads as trophies. um, Disgusting, whatever. I'm not going to give any credit to him, but he was a serial killer. And in an interview, he was somewhat in a sound state and he's talking about his life and he says, I came from a Christian home, a good godly family. Went to church, was involved in church. My families, my parents are godly people. I was a Christian my whole life. At a young age, one day, I at a young age one day I, I, I opened up and I started to watch porn and um, it engulfed my life and I began to grow in this sin and next thing you know it here I am from a Christian home a Christian family involved in church I got addicted to this porn and it grew in me and I started to act out sins that I, he didn't even necessarily agree with killing, raping, taking parts of the bodies. And all because he opened up the door to sin. He became an addict to killing and an addict to other sickening stuff. And you know, I, I started to think about that and I said, my God, you know, there's people that might be addicted to certain sins, to certain stuff. For example, this serial killer was addicted to porn and look what it led him to do. And, and you start to see the power of porn over people's lives and young people and old people. And what it does to their hearts and what it does to their minds. And you know, if you're addicted to porn, it's not that you're just addicted to that. There's something deeper. It's actually the lack of God's love in your life. So you draw yourself to something else to try to fill something that only God could fill. So your addiction is not necessarily your addiction, but... Your addiction has become your addiction because of your lack of something else. And when you allow 
Jesus Christ to be the consuming one. And you don't lack of his love. Then you don't need to run to other sins to look for a filling. To other addictions. To other habits. Because you found the one who's already filled that void. You know how it is. The answer is Jesus. Instead we run to something else and we go to something else. And, and God's like, it's not what I've called us for. So we opened up the service in Ezekiel chapter 37 and there's dry bones and Ezekiel's looking at these bones. You know, these are things that people don't want to admit, people don't want to confess, people don't want to get restored from because God forbid, but this is real stuff. And there's dead bones there. Come here, follow with me in verse 12. So he tells Ezekiel this as we end. He said, actually, stand with me because we really are going to end now. He says this as we close up today. He says, Ezekiel, verse 12, prophesy and say to these bones, this is what the Lord says, the Lord God, behold, all my people. Look what he says. I will open up your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and I will bring you into the land of good. Remember, he's talking to Israel during this time. Verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened up your graves, O my people, and I brought you up from the graves. 14. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place in you place you in your land and you shall know it that I the Lord have spoken it and I have performed it says the Lord it's a powerful passage because as there's dry bones that represent death God tells Ezekiel tell them that I'm going to take them out of their death I'm going to open up the things that are dead I'm going to place them back in their land. I'm going to let them know that I am their Lord. I will open up their death, their grave. And watch this. I will put my spirit in them. And they will live. And I will place in them. And they will know that I am the Lord as I place them in the land. That's a powerful, powerful scripture. Powerful scripture. Because in that same vision that seemed impossible. For life to enter these bones, the Lord now does something miraculously. Hey, can these bones live again? Oh Lord, you know. I wonder if Ezekiel said this. Hey Ezekiel, can those bones live again? Come on. You know how it is. Oh Lord, you know. And the Lord begins to restore what was dead. And not just life, but what does he restore? Tendons, muscle organs, the flesh, the skin. He gives back also, the Bible says, breath. I like the word breath because it's the ultimate symbol of, of life. When he gives breath to Adam and Eve, he gives breath to us. He gives life. And I look at this and I say, this is who our God is. He gives us breath today. He gives us water today. He gives us restoration today. He's the seventh man at the well saying, I come to fill the stuff that you've been filling with the wrong things. I've come to restore you with the truth. And Jesus Christ like, it's me. The answer is Jesus. I'm going to ask you to, to come before him in prayer real quick. Lord, I, I know this message is for me. Uh, nothing to hide and nowhere to run to, to be honest with you. I know that everything I've spoken today is absolutely 100% relatable to my life. And I bet that there is a massive group here that could say it's for me too, man. I know that today God made him, its word was clear that the answer is him, it's Jesus. And maybe you feel like that addict or like that woman that goes and she doesn't know how to control her life no more like Paul and continues to be a slave to sin 
But today Jesus meets you. Listen to this real quick as you're in prayer there. Jesus meets you at the place where you draw your water from. Isn't that crazy? He met the adulterous woman right after her adultery. Where does he meet the thief at? Right on the cross while he's being killed. He meets the woman right at the well as she goes back to her sixth man. And he has a tendency of meanness when we're sick. When we're drawing from the wells of addiction, the wells of sin, the waters of sin. And today he tells you today, if you continue to draw from these waters, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you take from the waters that I give you in you, it will be a, a spring. It will be bubbling water that leads to everlasting life. I will be the one that will fill the void that you no longer have to run to, to fill it, so that that sin would grow. So if you're an addict to a sin, you don't go to those waters. Come to me, Jesus says, so that that sin will not grow. Let my waters fill you. So we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to pray, but you know, I know that this message is one that we could all relate to, but maybe there's that one person here. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's 15. Maybe it's all. And today the message spoke to you, and you just got to get into the presence of God for a few minutes. I'm going to ask you to do that, but maybe you're the one that is like, man, just can you pray with me? I'm, I'm in desperate need. I, I just need prayer over this addiction. Come in agreement with restoration. And you're just that... At a place of that longing, at a place of just like, I'm that, those bones in the valley. I, oh Lord, only you know I, I need his breath. I need life to come back to me. If that's you, don't even wait. I'm going to ask you to run up to this altar. I want to pray with you.